Welcome to High Heels in Politics, the podcast where we talk with the leaders of Ohio and beyond. And now, your host, Marianne Christie. High Heels in Politics listeners will hear from a nationally recognized consultant and author who is highly regarded authority in the field of career-orientated women. Kay Fittis has distinguished herself with her extensive expertise and experience. She has dedicated her career to inspire, empower, and motivate women with the tools to navigate the challenges they face in the workplace. Kay was voted the Reader's Choice and was awarded for career coaching in the Cincinnati area in 2021, 2022, and 2023, and has provided training to groups at General Electric Company, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, Ethicon Corporation, and has been featured on Oprah and MSNBC, to name a few. Over the past 50 years, life has dramatically changed for women with court findings and legislation passed. Landmark decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court played a major role in marital property rights and on the husband's role as head and master of the household. It also made it illegal to deny credit cards based on sex. And yes, can you imagine even the courts established the right to use contraceptives. There are also a right for interracial marriages. It prohibited sex-segregated male and female help-wanted ads and banned employers from forcing pregnant women to quit their jobs. All this was changed in the 1980s. Now, some of these legislative milestones for women, I want you to know, were the 1963 Equal Pay Act, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, and the 1972 Title IX. Women today have access to education, employment opportunities, and reproductive rights that were legally banned. As High Heels and Politics host Marianne Christie, I met Kay Fittis when she was a guest speaker at a women's leadership organization. Her presentation was sensational, and I came away with some valuable lessons that helped me in my career and in my personal life. Kay's High Heels Success Company started in the 1990s It was a result of her work as a therapist and facilitator in the mental health field, combined with her proficiency as a trainer in the business sector. Her innovative strategies and programs are specifically tailored to women's needs and aspirations to achieve professional goals. So welcome, Kay, to High Heels in Politics. And let's start with how you began your career. You graduated from the University of Tennessee and now live in Cincinnati. 
That is absolutely right, Marianne, and I love being here today. It's been an interesting journey from the South. I grew up in Kentucky, went to the University of Tennessee, actually was one of those women out there in the quad fighting for the rights for women to have the same hours as men in the dormitories. So I started with this process very early. Then my husband got transferred with PNG to Georgia, and the next thing we knew, we were in Cincinnati, Ohio. It has been a fascinating journey. You're right. I did start in the mental health field. When we moved here, I had the opportunity to work for a psychologist who had a unique set of clients. So many of them were women that were at the top of their game in their company, but they were what I would call unicorns. They were the only ones there. So you can well imagine how stressful that was. They weren't coming to her for deep psychological issues. They were coming to her for intense stress. And you know what it's like to be a unicorn. You were the first female mayor of Madeira, Ohio, so it's not easy being a first when you look around and there's no one else like you. So, Kay, you're saying this uh, psychologist was a woman. She was a woman. And what village or city did you come from, from Kentucky? Paducah, Kentucky, a little tiny town on the Ohio River. It seems like I've stuck with the Ohio River being back in Cincinnati. But yeah, small town. I couldn't wait to get away. 18 years there, and my plan was go seven hours away so I could get away from mom and dad. And that's where uh, the University of Tennessee came in. But it was interesting. As I did work for this psychologist, I had the unique opportunity to study, to research, to interview women. So I began to develop an expertise around the issue of women in the workplace. As time went on, I ultimately left that field and decided to go out on my own. It was fascinating because I was armed with knowledge. I was armed with content. I was armed with expertise in presentation and facilitation. So I just knew my company was going to be gangbusters. And I fell flat on my face. I'm telling you, I had no phones ringing. I had no doors opening. I had no programs being booked. And my husband was getting really irritated. So what happened was that I had the opportunity to go and do a pitch for gentlemen in the financial services industry. A friend of a friend got me this opportunity. I went in, and once again, I didn't do so hot. Finally, he just kind of reached over and took my hand, and he said, can I give you a little bit of advice? And I kind of choked it up, choked back the tears a little bit, and I said, sure. He said, I had no idea who you were coming in. You need some visibility and some credibility. He said, you didn't give me any concrete reasons why I should hire you for the women in my company. I had no sense of benefits with you. And finally, he said, you just could not articulate your pitch. I said, okay. And I went back to my car and I sat there holding the steering wheel, sobbing, and said, 
what don't I know that successful women do? And that was really, truly the beginning of my company because I interviewed hundreds of women who were successful Cincinnati area and across the country. And out of that came my six P's high heel success process. And it has changed the lives, literally, of hundreds of thousands of women. I agree, because you sure left me with some good knowledge about how to behave in or how to assert myself in the midst of a meeting or a boardroom. Excellent. Kate, you're the author of that Achieving High Heel Success, 50 Ways for Career-Oriented Women to Succeed and How to Raise Your Self-Esteem. Talk about what strategies you generally recommend in these presentations. Presentations are part of the six piece. And so let me just give you a picture of what they are overall. They are powerful personal esteem, how you think about yourself when you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and nobody else is around, powerful personal esteem or professional esteem, excuse me, issues like negotiating your salary, how visible are you in your workplace, then powerful verbal language. When you speak, are you articulate? Do you use add-ons and fillers and hedges in your speaking, which are all power-robbing for women? Then power nonverbal language. When you walk into a room, does someone say, oh, there's somebody I know that I need to get to know? And then power presentations. Whether you're talking to five individuals or 5,000, Can you command a room? Can you deliver a message with a sense of a punch? And so people walk out of there with what you had to say on their lips. And then finally, power packaging, meaning self-packaging are your goals and the package from your head to your toe in alignment with really where you're going and what you want to do. In my books, I go into many, many skill sets and strategies that are necessary to master those six Ps. If you can do that, I can just about guarantee you, you're going to see a higher level of success. That area in your book about self-esteem, it's part of the Hamilton County and for people who don't know where Hamilton County is in Ohio, is Cincinnati. Their justice center for Women's Substance Abuse Treatment Program utilizes your book. Do. And the reason for that is we know, having done a fair amount of programming in the justice system, that most, if not all, of the women that are there have had horrendous stories, horrendous backgrounds, all of which have led them to a very low self-esteem. So if you can start building from the ground up, it's almost like creating a new person, unlearning the things that we have learned from our past and really developing in a way so that we respect ourselves, that we believe we deserve better 
than perhaps what got them into the justice system in the first place. And I have seen some absolutely incredible transformations in the justice system for women. And it almost always starts with higher self-esteem. There's another field that's very important for women to get involved. You've really done a lot with the professional business sector. But politics, that's where laws and decisions are made that truly affect the lives of women. And yet, most of those positions, whether it's at the state level or federal level, are held by men. I have attempted to try to get more women involved, and it is a difficult process. What do you think are the obstacles? How long do we have? (laughs) The challenges for women in politics are truly a reflection of our society. Women do have not insurmountable challenges in politics, but it is a darn big mountain to climb. There is such a double standard, particularly in politics. When we think of men in leadership, we think of men as assertive, decision makers, strong, maybe even sexy. And when we often hear women described in politics, we hear words like a bitch, quite frankly, that she is power hungry, that she is out to backstab. There is an incredible double standard there. And we know that our history is part of the challenge. My goodness, we didn't even receive the vote until 1920. When we look back at our history, when I started in my career, there were 15 women in Congress. Now there are 150. Right now, there are only 17 women that are heads of state in the entire world. And we in America have never had a female president. I don't know whether I will live to see that or not, but one of the statements you hear quite frequently in the political world is women are not electable. And that is absolutely a fallacy. Once again, you are our example of it is possible. And as we look at the proliferation of female mayors, female governors, the rise in Congress, we know eventually there will become a female president, but it is a tough battle. It's really interesting that Ohio has truly never had an elected governor. I the know. only governor was Nancy Hollister. She was the lieutenant governor, yes. and when Boinovich won his Senate seat, he had to leave the governor's seat, and she was governor for 12 days. And Isn't that, that incredible? Was There were a lot of good women. You take women like Betty Montgomery, who was an AG, Joanne Davidson. There are just incredible number of women who won statewide elections in Ohio. Yes. Yet they've never had a woman run. The time is nigh, let's say, because we know the talent 
is out there. One of the other challenges that is important to consider is men have the old boys network. And as females, we have to create the old girls network, and we are doing a better job of that, particularly when you look at the networking opportunities for women nationally as well as locally. We're we're starting. You're beginning to feel that there's a change with women's attitude toward other women running. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there is a change in women's attitude towards other women. A number of years ago, I had a program entitled Women Working with Women, Can You Survive? And it was because so often when you have intense competition at the top for positions, whether it's political or it's corporate or it's in an agency, one can understand why there may be rivalry while there may be even backstabbing. But as more opportunities open for women, we know that women do support one another. Yes, and they work together very well. Absolutely. I can remember for years, maybe it felt like decades, I was the only person I ever heard saying, empowered women empower women. And now, Every time I turn around, I hear someone saying that statement. So we know that is happening. And that's part of what those women's networking groups do is they create a referral system for other women. Let's go to Title IX. That had a major impact in education. It also impacted women in their everyday lives. Yes, it did. So often when people think of Title IX, and did you know that tomorrow is the 51st anniversary of Title IX? June 23rd, 1972. But when we think about Title IX, we do often think of athletics. But truly, it was initially set as no higher education facility that got federal funding could discriminate against women in education. And we know that has such a domino effect. When a woman has an excellent education, she has access to better jobs. Better jobs lead to choices. Choices lead to a sense of self-efficacy. That leads to opportunities for better health care and ultimately a safer and more comfortable retirement for women. I mean, you think back prior to Title IX, any woman could be fired for being pregnant. Now we have those protections for women that pregnancy does not mean the end of their career. It also led for safeguards, at least some safeguards against sexual harassment in the workplace. So it's been such a domino effect. My cousin, Susie Chapstick Chaffee, was uh, on the U.S. ski team and was uh, a student at the University of Denver. When she had to go to practice skiing for the U.S. ski team, She couldn't ride the bus Uh with the men that were on the team. She was hitchhiking to uh, the mountain to ski. Eventually, it was reporters 
that raised a fuss about this, and then she was allowed to ride the bus. This was the 60s, and she played a major role in getting Title IX passed. That's incredible. I didn't know she was your cousin. You know what that reminds me of, Marianne? At the University of Tennessee, one of my mentors was the great Pat Head Summit, famed basketball coach that really put— Who was that again? Pat Head Summit. Okay. And she really put women's basketball on the map. She started at the University of Tennessee in 1974, and at that time, they had to scrounge for uniforms, transportation, places to practice because they couldn't practice in the men's gym, and they didn't have a women's practice facility. And the only way she could go about funding this new basketball team for women was bake sales and car washes. Unbelievable. We, we have come oh. a way. Yeah, and people don't understand. We're talking the 70s and 80s, That's right. which is only... 50 years ago. That's right. It was a blink of an eye. Kay, your commitment to gender equality and deep understanding of the unique challenges faced by women in society has made you a trusted advocate and mentor for women. What do you see with the changing attitudes toward women's roles? That's interesting, Marianne, because... I strongly believe that the greatest changes will come from two arenas. One is a change in parenting, that our parenting roles are more diverse, less gender-specific, and we would be raising our children very differently. So that's one arena. The other is the importance of men in equity. When in corporations where you see women making some of the strongest advances, there are male advocates, particularly at the top of the hierarchy, and they are fighting for inclusion and diversity. They are pulling women into their board of directors. I mean, let's think about it for a moment. When I started my career, there were no female CEOs in any Fortune 500 companies. Now there are, I think, around between 53 and 57. So I see some dramatic positive changes, but I am also discouraged because we know that prior to the pandemic, Pew Institute said it would be approximately 50 years before we would see equity. Now, I have seen statistics that indicate it may be as much as 131 years before we reach equity. I sure as heck am not going to see it. My daughter and daughter-in-law are not going to see it. Even my granddaughters are not going to see that. So it's important that every day we are making strides. Every day, we call out sexism as we see it. Things like performance bias. Men tend to be given opportunities for their potential. Women, on the other hand, are expected to perform first in their job 
and then maybe they will be given an opportunity. So it's good news, bad news. I think about Desmond, the late Desmond Tutu, who said, if you are neutral in regard to injustice, you are on the side of the oppressor. So it's important that every day, step by step, even baby steps, both men and women look at their own bias, look at what they can do even in a small way to change the landscape. I'm very fond of the quote by the famous feminist Gloria Steinem, who said, the first job for all of us, both men and women, is not to learn, but to unlearn. There's a lot we have to unlearn. When we opened this podcast, I talked about men had been the head and master of a household. Now, many young women today don't understand what that meant. That meant that a woman, even if she inherited money from her family, it had to be given to the husband. It was the husband who decided how the children were to be raised. I mean, even as a wife, she had very little rights. That decision is just 42 years ago that it changed, where we as women could inherit money from our family. We could have a voice and what schools our children went to, what our children decided to do. So it is, it's been a fantastic journey for me even to watch what has happened. Exactly. And as I look at clients of mine that are in the late 20 to early 30 age category, I am, I'm excited. I am optimistic about what they are, what they are doing, what they expect of themselves, as well as what they expect of their workplace. But I also know that we have taken, as women, the hardest hit since the pandemic in terms of dropping out of the workforce. That is a very scary statistic for women in the workplace. We could do about 50 podcasts, couldn't we, Mary? (laughs) Yes, yes, we could. (laughs) Well, Kay, before we close, I want listeners themselves to review the history of of the changes that women have undergone over the past 50 years and the impact has played and why we need to work together to achieve future challenges and work together to achieve future challenges. Kay, thank you for all your work. And I want to encourage High Heels and Politics listeners, if you're considering engaging professional help with your career, you should read Kay's books or even better, contact Kay Fittis herself. Tell us a little bit more about this and then how can people contact you? Oh, I I would be excited to have them contact me a, a lot of different ways. I am going to put out an offer. So for the first 10 women that 
email me, text me, or call my office, I will give an opportunity for a complimentary 45-minute consultation. And here's how you go about doing that. The office number is 513-561-4288, or you can text 513-314-7083, or you can email email me, that's K-K-A-Y, at high, H-I-G-H, healed, H-E-E-L-E-D, success.com. I would love to have your listeners contact me. They can call the office, which is 513-561-4288. They can text 513-314-7083. Or they can email me. That's K K A Y at high H I G H healed H E E L E D success dot com. And all you have to say is, I want to talk. And we will get you hooked up and we will spend some time together seeing how High Heel Success might be able to help you rehab your career. Where can they get your book? Oh, easy. You can get that on Amazon. You can go to my website, which is highhealedsuccess.com. And I do encourage you to look at other resources that are there, as well as there are a heck of a lot of freebies. If you go, for example, to our library, our newsletters are chronicled all the way back to 2012. And each of those newsletters has a women's career topic that goes into quite a bit of depth. It's like getting a master's in career just by going to the website. Plus, as part of those newsletters, there's a section called Case Corner, three actionable steps you can take immediately to make a dent, let's say, in your career. Plus, you can get a white paper that talks about six self-sabotaging mistakes women make in the workplace, or you can get a career assessment, 57 questions. Don't get scared off by that, but a real in-depth look at how am I really doing? So I'd love to have them go to the website. And you're right. You and I could have many more discussions about power positions for women, and how to succeed, whether it's in business or politics. And that's so true. And uh, let's stick with the mantra, empowered women, empower women. Thank you. High Heels in Politics is produced by Marianne Christie and Ryan Kulik. Engineered by Ryan Kulik. Music by Sherrod Sate. Subscribe to High Heels in Politics on Google, Apple, Spotify, and all of your podcast networks.